Oh man, Dustin, you hear that? That's the sound of being a football shooting themselves in the foot. The offense in particular, yet again. Let's get that one more time. Man. Welcome into This Week in Indiana Football, everybody. I'm your host, John Alden, as always. Dustin Shooty alongside me from Saturday Tradition. As we get started here on a Tuesday, Tuesday following Indiana's homecoming loss to Michigan State, and man, yet another disappointing effort on the offensive side, as I mentioned, as we got here, as we got going here. Uh, and it's at this point, I don't really know what what kind of hope there is in a change happening during this season. I'm not talking about a coordinator change. I'm just talking about with the personnel that you have, whether it's the offensive line the quarterbacks, the wide receivers, I don't think that this is fixable currently. I, I mean, we've, we're, we're six weeks or six games into this, I should say. You came out of a bye week. You had an extra week to prepare your offense for this Michigan State defense, which is good, but it's not great. It gives up more passing yards than any team in the Big Ten, and you're only able to muster 15 points. Uh, look, I know Jack Tuttle is not does not have the same arm strength as Michael Penix, and I know that Jack Tuttle has a lot less experience than Michael Penix, but you had an extra week to kind of game plan this situation, and it, once again, it did not look good. And, the, and I, I think almost what kind of summarizes this Indiana season is the fact that basically Indiana lost because they threw a pick six. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. They've thrown three pick sixes. They've scored one touchdown in Big Ten play. That's <laughs> And we're not talking about like one game, even just two games. We're three games into this Big Ten season, and they've scored one offensive touchdown. And Stephen Carr had to fight and scrap and claw to get to the end zone, to get to the goal line. I think that was even like a third down or a, that was, maybe it was a second down. And I remember but, he, he had initially, according to the refs, gotten in the end zone, but they reviewed it and he wasn't in until he had to – it's like it was like pulling teeth trying to get right. six points for Indiana. So what a what a crazy thing to have happen for the Hoosiers. We're also going to have be joined by Brandon Beam of Ohio State Radio, I believe, Dustin. I know you hooked, you hooked that up for me. Is that where he's from? Yeah. 97-1, the fan in Columbus. He's a co-host of The Morning Juice with Bobby Carpenter. Oh, perfect. Yes, well, well, he'll be joining us here in about 10 to 12 minutes or so. Looking forward to hearing what he has to say. I, I really wish that this was a sexier matchup <laughs> as we all thought it could be going into the season. Uh, our Every time that this game has come up in my mind, and, and probably in yours too, Dustin, in relation to myself and, and Jim Coyle, you always, earlier on in the season, would remind us of your, uh, I think it was a bold prediction of yours during the preseason, that Indiana would be closer to 3-3 three and three than they are to 6-0. and oh. And my goodness, could that not be any more correct, other than the fact that they aren't exactly 3-3, three and three, they're 2-4. and four. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that your third win would, at the beginning of the season, was probably going to come against their opponent from this past week with Michigan State. Yeah, because I thought Michigan State was going to be the probably one of the worst teams in the Big Ten this year, just because of the changeover, because Mel Tucker was still so new, because of everything that happened in 2020. I didn't expect this team to be nearly this explosive offensively. I didn't expect them to attack the transfer portal the way they did. And I thought that they would take a big hit defensively. I still think that I was a little bit right on their defensive side of the secondary, but their defensive line is playing outstanding. I mean, Jacob Panashuk is a guy who's getting pressure on the quarterback more times than anybody else in college football, according to a, a statistic from po- Pro Football Focus this week. I mean, that's just insane. This team has, I think the stat still holds true that they have more sacks than anybody else in the Big Ten. I mean, they do a great job of getting pressure on the quarterback. And that's partly the reason why Indiana's offense struggled. But again, I go back to you you had trouble against Iowa. You had trouble against Penn State. You had trouble against Michigan State. And again, as we heard the gunshots in that Cincinnati game. You shot yourself in the foot every time you were, well, not every time, but most of the time you were in the red zone. So this team can just not figure it out. They're going to have to make a change after this season. They, yeah. Nick Sheridan is not the answer. And I hate to talk about that six games in, and I know how grueling the schedule has been, but this offense has too much talent mm-hmm. and this team had too much returning star power. And this team, I don't know what else to say. Like, the writing's on the wall to me. I don't know what you can do. This is not going to be an explosive offense. They're not going to win games offensively. 
and and we'll talk about this with our opponent. Like I have no idea how they're going to be able to score enough points to hang with Ohio State. Yeah. Maybe their defense keeps it in it for a half, but we're we're talking about. We thought that coming out of the out of the bye week, maybe things would look better. Maybe with Jack Tuttle, things would look a little bit different. Maybe Nick Sherwood would figure something out. He'd scheme something up. It's not happening. And that and that was the case during the first drive. I mean, they marched down the field. They settled for a field goal, and obviously that was a sign of things to come. But Jack Tuttle, he looked like he was ready. He admitted in the post-game press conference that there was a lot of mechanical things that he needs to work on, and obviously his decision-making with the picks, specifically the pick six. And I think we'll see improvement from Jack Tuttle. Maybe we won't. Maybe it won't be completely evident against someone like Ohio State. But yeah. I think moving forward, even if Michael Penix is able to get to whatever his version of full strength is at this point, I don't think we're going to see Michael Penix take another snap uh, in an Indiana uniform this season. But I could be wrong. I don't know your take on that, but I think we may have seen the last of him this year. We could have. I have I have no idea. I'm not, I don't like to speculate on injuries just because you never know. Um, and plus, and, 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 I don't mean to interrupt, but it, Tom it, Allen was saying he, he's not even thinking about redshirting Donovan McCulley anymore. He's thinking that we're going to see McCulley point. throughout the rest of the year, and there's more than – four games left obviously and you only get four to be able to maintain your red shirt and I think that's I don't know if that means they're going to move on from Penix completely or like you know the following season but my mind ever since this injury and then obviously what's led up to the injury performance wise it wouldn't surprise me one bit and I'm kind of like you I don't want to come to assumptions but it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Penix jumps in the transfer portal at the end of the year Right. Well, I mean, we, we'll see what happens. And, and the reason I don't like to assume is because I don't need anybody running off with what my assumption is, considering it reporting. Uh, and sometimes that happens, unfortunately. So that's mm-hmm. why I try to stay away from that side of it. But maybe I, what I will take say a, is, take a point or two from that. It, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it, at points, I've gotten myself in trouble just by stating my opinion, thinking I'm stating my opinion clearly and it being you know considered as reporting. And that's not the case. Uh, so just to make that clear, but I do think you bring up a good point in the fact that Donovan, that Tom Allen mentioned Donovan McCauley, not really worrying about his red shirt, because that's a guy we talked about. We thought he might get some time in, in different roles with Indiana yeah. this season in terms of kind of like the way, um, oh boy, I just lost his name. The Penn State quarterback. I can't think of it. It was Tory, Trace McSorley. Tommy Stevens. Tommy Stevens. I would get it eventually if I stalled long enough. Uh <laughs> The way Tommy Stevens was used, he was used in the running game. He was occasionally take some snaps at quarterback. He would, you know, do some wide receiver stuff. I thought they might try to utilize Donovan McCauley just to mix things up in that way. I don't think that's the case. I think Tom Allen saw what he saw, knows that things aren't working with this offense. And at this point, again, we're at a point where what do you have to lose? You look at that schedule, yeah. and it's what one of the four or five toughest in remaining in college football. You now you have Ohio State. You still have to play Michigan. Produce a top 20 now. So, and Maryland and Rutgers are no slouches. I mean, those are, those are good foot. Those are, I should say improved football teams. Mm. So you're not going to walk in there and just get a, just get a win just because. So it's going to be interesting to me to see, do we start to try new talent? What do we have to lose by inserting Donovan McCauley and seeing if the offense just looks better? Maybe he gets it six games in. Maybe that's enough where he's learned the playbook well enough to be able to come in Maybe he's got the arm talent, the speed, whatever it might be, to mix some things up. So that is a really good point that you bring up. Yeah, especially uh, moving terms- forward. Like, even if you if Penix never got hurt and there was success with the offense and there wasn't a question that he was going to be starting all season long, you probably wouldn't have seen McCulley at all this season. And what you have now, and obviously you don't want to look you don't want to look at Penix's injury as a positive, but there's always a silver lining to certain things. Donovan McCulley is going to get his, I guess, freshman snaps out of the way now. Whereas if he ends up being the starter in a year or two, him, yes, he'll be he'll still be fairly new and he, he will have never played a full season yet, but you won't have to worry about maybe some of those early mistakes that he's probably going to end up uh, committing here during his time. I'm not, I mean, I feel like I'm doing a lot of assuming and this is not good, but I guess it's kind of like what you were saying. There's so much that has happened with what you already have. You're going to have to try something new. And I guess with some when, with trying something new, there is a little bit of assumption going on, as much as I hate to say that. Here's here's the other thing. This is the other side, and, and no coach would ever admit this, but part of me wonders if 
Tom Allen is thinking the way our offensive line is playing, the way Ohio State's defense has improved, and the way their defensive line looks right now, we better have Donovan McCauley ready to go because Jack Tuttle's not going to make it the whole game. And yeah. I don't, I don't say that. I don't say that thinking that you know wanting Jack Tuttle to get hurt or anything like that. But if you take as many hits, that offensive line has played so poorly this season. If those hits start to take up, I mean, those are big four and five star guys. Those are those uh, taking the hits against the, that team. It's going to wear on you. So even if Jack Tuttle doesn't necessarily get hurt, he might be banged up to the point where we need we need a fresh arm in there. We need some fresh legs. We need mm-hmm. to get somebody else some snaps so that way we can maintain, you know, the health, the Jack Tuttle's health the rest of the season or whatever the case might be. So nobody's ever going to admit to that. I have to imagine that that has to be at this point when you've seen how terrible the offensive line has been, how non-existent the run game has been. I feel like that's, that also weighs into the equation. I'm not saying that's the primary Mm -hmm. thing that Tom Allen's thinking about, but I think it factors in to this equation when you're playing one of the, probably one of the five best teams in college football right now. Yeah, and Jack Tuttle, he showed flashes of this against Michigan State. I don't know if he was just trying to get his feet wet in this particular game last week. But I think against Ohio State in particular, I don't care if it's your second game or not, because of how bad this offensive line is, you're going to have to run and make plays on your own sometimes. And if, and if you can't do that, throw the ball away. I don't feel like he did a very good job of that against Michigan State. And I guess if your offensive line really is that bad, you're not going to have that much time to make a decision every single snap. But I mean, something's going to have to give. I mean, uh, and I'm about to get off topic a little bit because there was something I wanted to ask you uh, when we were talking about Michigan State early on, and I, I meant to get your thoughts. Uh, but all the the MLSU rumors, and I see I've seen your oh, very God, uh, no. your very ups. I don't want to say <laughs> upset because that makes it sound like you're a fan of Michigan State, which you're not. But you're very against him leaving the Big Ten. Uh, I think even your dog is a little upset about it. I can hear her <laughs> whining. So you mentioned Mel Eshoo and she's upset about it. Yes. So the thing to me is Mel Tucker has a great personality, and he brings a little bit of attitude to the Big Ten. So as somebody who covers the Big Ten and loves to talk about interesting things, Mel Tucker, to me, is incredibly interesting. So I don't – the SEC has enough personality. They got Lane Kiffin. They got mm-hmm. Mike Leach. They did have Ed Orgeron, Nick Saban's down there. I mean, they have all cut Dan Mullen, Kirby Smart. They have all kinds of personalities. Let the Big Ten have some guys, and we do. There's some guys in the Big Ten. Pat Fitzgerald doesn't care what he says. James Franklin, Kirk Ferentz is getting a little spicy mm. in his uh, as his career. Uh, I don't want to say winds down because I still think he's got plenty of time left. But as he's getting up there and, and closer to the end, uh, so we do have some characters. But I think Mel Tucker is among one of the most interesting and. I just love his mindset. I love his attitude. I mean, he does. He, I will not swear, but he does not give a damn. <laughs> that that would be a very interesting power rankings of of. It doesn't matter the Big Ten, the SEC, but ranking the 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 personalities of the Big Ten coaches. And I don't, I'm sure that's been done somewhere. But uh, would you put Mel Tucker at the top? I know you you tend to enjoy his cigar. Uh, Oh, smoking. Oh, yeah, that's good. I feel like that saying that just sounded derogatory. I didn't mean for that to sound like a negative thing, but that's kind of like become his personality. And I don't want this to become a Michigan State podcast, but uh, I'm just Mel well, Tucker no, is a very I, interesting guy. I think he's just confident, um, and not, I don't like to toot my own horn on this podcast, but I'm going to just a little bit. So I had the opportunity to talk with Kirk Herbstreit a week ago, and that was one of the things we talked about was Mel Tucker and that attitude, and and I said that. I asked this team to me, you know, embraces his personality. Do you see that same thing? And the thing that he said was, you know, you see the scowl. He's a defensive guy. He's always tough, but he's a he's a re- really caring, really loving guy. He's a great guy to get to know. And so I think that he just has this confidence, this aura about him that he, I mean, he he just he doesn't care. Like he's he's a hardworking type of dude. And he doesn't care what people think about him. He wants to get the job done. And so those are the kind of people I like to have in the Big Ten. And so that's why, again, LSU just they can back off. We don't we don't need them stealing, you know, another national championship coach like they did Nick Saban uh, so many years ago. But, you know, we'll see what happens. We will. I think it's time to bring in our guest this week. We've got Brandon Beam of Ohio State Radio. I can't remember the. Dustin told me the call letters earlier, Brandon, and I'm, and I'm 
they're they're leaving my mind. Which and you're on the morning juice. That is the show that I know that you're on. That is correct. Thanks, boys, uh, for having me. Yeah, it's ninety-seven point one. The fan in Columbus. John, thanks for having me. Dustin, good to see you. Sorry about the Pacers season, even though it hasn't started yet. <laughs> it, we, we've already got six guys on the injured list, so you know we'll, we're just going to have go out there and have fun, Brandon. That's my goal. Hey, you know what? You got Dwayne Washington on the team, so it's all that's about. right. That's right. See, we we already have a connection there. So you can't hit the Pacers too much. <laughs> that's right. Thanks for having me, boys. What's a uh, discussion been? I heard some. Little Mel Tucker conversation here. I know you're a big fan of his. Yeah, there's only oh, so yeah, I mean, much. You... You go ahead, Dustin. I was just going to say I'm a huge fan. Uh, like, okay, so outside the Columbus, I mean, is there a viewpoint on Mel Tucker before we dive into the Ohio State, Indiana? I love him, and for no other reason other than the fact that I think he just has a great personality. Uh, I Like at Big Ten Media Days, he was up there. You know, this is not year one. This is year two. He was very emphatic about – uh, you know, having this team ready to go, they're playing seven and zero. He's an intense guy. Like I just love having interesting people in the Big Ten, and to me, he's an he's one of the most interesting coaches we have. Yeah. So uh, Mel Tucker used to be the uh, I believe co defensive coordinator here at Ohio State, and uh, I used to be a producer on a show uh, with former Ohio State running back Beanie Wells, and Beanie was always the person who was always pumping Mel Tucker. Right. He was like, if I were to play for a head coach, Mel would be the guy that I would like take a bullet for. And that was the only person that and Beanie's one of the coolest people that I know. So if Beanie Wells is saying that, then I'm all on board. I've never had any personal interaction with Mel Tucker other than I believe him being the Bears defensive coordinator. And I'm a Bears fan. And that didn't work out so great. But if Beanie's saying that I'm on board with it. I mean, the guy plays golf. He smokes cigars. He looks great. So. Uh, I think we need to protect him at all costs. I mean, Dustin, so you're not the only Mel Tucker Stan account, evidently. I told you. I told you. People people love the guy. Like he's either he's one of those guys that you 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 love him or you hate. Like you love to hate him. I I I just like I, I want to go on the golf course. Me, there's going to be one day where me, Brandon, we go out in the golf course with Mel Tucker. We're smoking cigars. <laughs> we're we're hitting birdies. I mean, like, that's just, he's just that kind of guy. Like, I just want to go and have a conversation with him because I think you could play 18 holes of golf and you wouldn't talk about football at all. Like, I think he would just have an interesting conversation even just outside of football. Yeah, I could definitely see that, but maybe we should. I think it's time to close the doors on this before we get slandered <laughs> on by the Indiana faithful. If if there are any left, I mean, there's there's so much gone wrong with this Indiana football team, specifically with the offense, and it's not going to get any easier with Ohio State coming to town next week. And Ohio State, as everybody always uh, seems to predict, whenever they're struggling early on, they're starting to gain their footing these past couple of weeks with good showings against Maryland, Rutgers, the like they just came off the bye week. And that's another thing, too. It does seem like the past couple of years, they've also been on a bye before they face Indiana. I know last year it was the COVID the COVID bye, so it wasn't something that was scheduled. But uh, it is unfortunate on the Indiana perspective that that had to happen for a second year. But, Brandon, what, what can Indiana expect off the top from this Ohio State team? Uh, a lot of high-powered offense um, from this team. C.J. Stroud, they sat him down against Akron. It was a 7.30 kickoff at the Horseshoe. Uh, Kyle McCord got the start and, to be honest, didn't really live up to expectations. Like I feel like a lot of Buckeye fans wanted a quarterback controversy after that week, and he didn't really give us anything. <laughs> um, and, I mean, let's not forget, guys. I mean, C.J. Stroud, even in the Oregon loss, put up – 480 plus yards of passing yards. Uh, it's a kid who's been through a lot already. I mean, you go from Dwayne Haskins throwing 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns in his one year with the Buckeyes to, you know, a year and a half of Justin Fields. And now all of a sudden you have incredible expectations for this team. This kid is the real deal, right? And he is not lacking weapons to throw to. He has Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, who could possibly be if not already the best one-two punch in college football at the receiver level. By the way, Jackson Smith and Jigba seems to be an absolute nightmare. Emeka Egbuka seems to be a nightmare. Jeremy Rucker is a nightmare at the tight end. G. Scott Jr., who, I mean, went from wide receiver to tight end, who was a top 100 receiver in the country, transitioned to there. And, oh, yeah, by the way, true freshman running back Travion Henderson uh, has home run capability 
and an offensive line that just is an absolute road grader along the way. This is as high-powered, and I don't say this in hyperbole, this is as high-powered of a Ohio State offense as we have ever seen, and it is terrifying when they're rolling at full strength. So other than that, Indiana should be fine. It sounds like you just gave me a Christmas list of players that Indiana wish was on their own offense. Well, Desan McCullough, right? Came to Indiana, flipped from the Buckeyes to the Hoosiers. Well, he, well, he is, uh, I know he's that's a defensive like, player, I believe, but yeah, anyway. but yeah, regardless, yeah. regardless, that was on our wish list, and you guys flipped him, so it's all good. Um, no, but seriously, guys, this <laughs> this offense is um, it is terrifying, and they have started to figure things out. The more impressive thing, uh, the last three games defensively is really where they've started. Uh, to ratchet up the noise. We always knew the offense could get it going. It was all going to be on CJ. What was he going to be able to do? How was he able to command the offense? Uh, But the first three games really was the defensive side of the ball that was giving Ohio State problems. They have stopped um, trying to just be perfect, and they have started to play football now. And that is um, a big deal here in Columbus because this uh, this defense, the last three weeks compared to the first three, has been night and day from where they were. And, and I think, yeah, I, I, I think that one of the things coming into this season was it was almost like Ohio State's kind of treated unfairly. They're in the category of Alabama, Clemson, and we just expected, you know, oh, they're playing Minnesota on the road. Maybe they'll have some issues, but they'll be fine. They're playing an Oregon team. That's the Pac-12. It's the body clock. They'll be fine, and eventually they'll roll and be undefeated, get to the Big Ten championship game, and you know we'll see what happens. They'll be in the college football playoff. But I think that what we, what I would have liked to see is, you know, imagine we swapped the Minnesota and the Oregon game with the Akron and the Tulsa game. This team didn't get the opportunity, and I think a lot of people kind of. I remember saying the cloud's not falling in Columbus. They just had a rough start. They had to go on the road and play Minnesota. They had to play a really good Oregon team at home. This team is starting to gel on both sides of the ball, and it looks to me like I've said from the start of the season, I think Penn State's their biggest competitor, but right now I still think Ohio State is the best team in the Big Ten. I have some questions because, as you mentioned, Brandon, they're playing better defensively, but – it's, a, it's come against Akron. It's come against Rutgers in Maryland. So there's still some wait and see there. But, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know where the flaw is right now in the way Ohio State's playing. If you had to point to one thing, what would it be? Yeah, honestly, I mean, it would be probably the lack of a uh, defensive and pass rush, which is crazy to say, right? I mean, you come into the year, you're thinking Tyreek Smith, Zach Harrison, these are going to be your guys. They're going to leave the season with double-digit sacks. You look at any – mock draft at the beginning of the year. Both of them are in the top 50. Uh, And that's really kind of been the storyline for the defense has been uh, the lack of an edge rush uh, just from the edge themselves. I mean, the interior has been great. Haskell Garrett should be okay this week, uh, which is is a mega problem for Indiana fans. Uh, He creates so much havoc on the inside. Uh, Tyleek Williams is another guy, true freshman, who has stepped up in a big, big role. Uh, But the one thing you can kind of point at and say, all right, well, that's been kind of lacking, uh, has been the edge rush, but they just wreak so much havoc in the interior uh, that it can create a lot of matchup problems. But if that was one thing, Cam Brown has been injured this year. Seven Banks has as well on the outside at defensive backs. Uh, Josh Proctor went down a couple of games into the year as free safety. They've been working out Bryson Shaw. Um, who has been okay. He needs to step up a little bit. Um, But really the biggest concern that I would have when you get into these big games here is going to be the edge rush because you need that if you are going to compete at the highest level in college football. And that's something, frankly, uh, that they've been lacking at so far. And this is definitely – oh, go ahead, Dustin. You're good. Uh, Sorry. I just wanted to to get on this point since you brought his name up. But Tyleek Williams – how crazy is it that he's having – everybody came into this season, it was all Jack Sawyer. He's going to be the five-star freshman that everybody's talking about. He's the next, you know, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, the next Chase Young. How crazy has it been, or maybe just how fun has it been to see Tyleek Williams' development? And, and I know they're on the same team, but but he's playing at a higher level right now than Jack Sawyer. 
Yeah, it's been really fun, actually, uh, because, you know, in the entire offseason, it's been JT Tuimolau and Jack Sawyer. Yeah. Like, these are all the guys who are getting, you know, the praise and the headlines coming into the year. And like you mentioned, Larry Johnson has quite the uh, persona to develop edge rushers. You mentioned yeah. them, Nick and Joey and Chase and those guys. Uh, so they'll get there. I'm not too worried about that. But you're right. I mean, it was all—it was weird what Ohio State was doing. The, you know, the first few weeks of the season, uh, as you guys know, I mean, they made the move from you know Kerry Combs. He's still defensive coordinator. Parentheses quotes. Uh, Matt Barnes is now calling the plays on the defensive side of the ball. So they were actually lining up Haskell Garrett um, at nose tackle, and Haskell, I mean, thrives in the three technique, right? Put him on the inside shoulder of the guard, outside shoulder, he wreaks havoc. And they were playing him at nose. But since they found Tyleek Williams and they were able to kind of put him like offset of the center shoulder and move Haskell back to that natural three technique, uh, those two have been uh, nothing short of incredible on the inside. And you guys know this better than anyone, right? If you cannot establish a run against Ohio State, that's your worst nightmare because they have guys on the outside that are, uh, frankly, just better athletes than a lot of the Big Ten will see. Denzel Burke, another true freshman kid. Ronnie Hickman playing in that bullet position has been a ball hawk this year. Uh, so Ty Leak has been really – Denzel Burke will get a lot of the headlines for everything that he's doing, and he will probably make freshman All-American team, and he deserves that. Ty Leak Williams has really been the engine for me up front because – he creates that havoc, makes you throw into bad situations, and then Ohio State has so many athletes on the on the backside of the ball that they're able just to, uh, again, just wreak pandemonium on you from basically everywhere on the field. And, and see, that's Indiana's biggest issue, especially from an offensive perspective. Usually, especially when you go back to the Kevin Wilson era Indiana teams, they would have a very stout offensive line that would help their uh, offense be able to create something that could compete against Ohio State's defense. You don't have that right now with Nick Sheridan, and I'm quite. Oh, Kevin Wilson gave Ohio State fits all the time when he was the head coach Absolutely. at Ohio State. I mean, it was close game after close game after close game. And I talk with Dustin all the time how I wish Indiana at this point in the season, or Tom Allen specifically, would do what Ohio State had done, and that's talk to Nick Sheridan about you know, switching the roles of somebody else doing the play calling because clearly something is not working. The offensive efficiency has dropped from the moment he's taken he started he took over the reins from Kalen DeBoer to now every season it's progressively gotten worse. And you have somebody on staff in Dion McCullough who is essentially a I don't want to say a prodigy of Kevin Wilson, but he was responsible for developing guys like Tevin Coleman and Jordan Howard in those prolific offenses. Why not give somebody like him a shot uh, to, to make something happen because nothing is happening with this Indiana offense. Yeah, it's really, I don't know, peculiar. And Dustin and I have these conversations. So we have Dustin on once every couple of weeks. And coming into the year, I mean, we, my co-host and myself, Bobby Carpenter, were super high on in Indiana, right? Like you go from always being the hunter to now last season being the hunted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's happened. Obviously, Indiana has had issues with Michael Penix, and that's an injury concern, and that's you know probably the lead here, uh, the issues that he's had. But you're correct on that. I, so, again, Ohio State had these issues the first three games. Ryan Day had some serious conversations with Kerry Combs. Listen, man, we love you. We know what you bring to the table. We need you to take a back seat, and it's probably something that Indiana needs to look at there. Just get a little uh, freshness in it because it seemed like Ohio State was banging their heads against the wall in three the th- first three games of the season. Then all of a sudden you make one tiny little schematical change, two or three, throw in a different blitz package here, play some zone coverage every now and again instead of playing that man-to-man coverage. All of a sudden now this defense looks to be the real deal. So I think it's a I, I think it would be a great idea for Indiana to look that, at that route. And on the other end of things, Indiana has kind of transitioned under Tom Allen to be more of a defensive style team. And it's definitely like the, the, the seeds have been sown and they've been reaped to success. I don't know if I said that correctly, but I mean, you look at what they did with, with Kenneth Walker, somebody who was having a Heisman caliber season up until last week. They held him under 100 yards. Does that give you any concern at all for Ohio State or, or is this obviously Ohio State has a very powerful offense? Does, does that keep you from worrying about? anything that this Indiana defense could do to slow it down? 
Oh, I, I think for sure. I think there's ways to throw, slow this Ohio State offense down. Uh, I think it really all starts on getting pressure on CJ. Uh, and that's been the biggest test for anybody to do, right? I mean, when he doesn't have any pressure on him, the guy he's has so many dangerous receivers and so many dangerous weapons around him uh, that he is he's one of the best in the country, right? I mean, you see it when you've got those three guys running around. You've got Jeremy Ruckert, you've got Travion out of the backfield. I think with this Ohio State def- or Ohio State offense is so dangerous at um, you've seen it year in year out. Those crossing routes that they do, it's just, it, it's a matchup nightmare for every team in the country. Olave on the right, Wilson on the left. Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot. I don't know how you cover all three of those guys. And if you do, then you have to watch out for Jeremy Ruckert as the safety valve. Um, but I do think the way, because we haven't seen C.J. be pressured that much, if Indiana can get to C.J. Stroud in a hurry, then that'll be the difference in this football game. But, again, you have to worry about Travion Henderson out of the backfield, and that is a an entirely different conversation because he looks to be one of the best running backs in the country only as a true freshman. Well, to me, the problem with that on the Indiana side is the fact that they have not seen an offensive line as defined as the monsters among some of the linebackers in Columbus. They haven't seen an offensive line that big. They have a job at bottling up running backs, but they could be without uh, Taiwan Mullen again and, and maybe Reese Taylor again. They're both those guys. Two of their better cornerbacks are are questionable. So when I look at this, like I look at this as I don't know. I think that Indiana's defense could potentially not stop Ohio State's offense. I think it could slow it down slightly in that first half. But I think that Indiana's going to get so worn down that you're going to. This is going to be like a forty-two to seven type of game. I, Man. Not only that, but I think that this is a great game for Ohio State's defense because Ohio Indiana it can't they can't move the ball. It, it drives me crazy to watch them play football because they can't move the damn ball. And I just don't know how, when you look at those athletes, a lot of times in these type of games, Ohio State, don't, they don't even have to scheme. They can just say, go play football with their defense, and they're going to out-athlete you. I feel like that's going to be the case. And with the, the fact that Indiana couldn't move the ball, couldn't move the ball through the air against the worst pass defense in the Big Ten and one of the worst in college football, like, this is just such a good matchup for Ohio State on top of the fact that they're coming out of a bye week, and I still think that they're playing – a little pissed off. I, I just don't see any chance for Indiana to stick around in this. Yeah. The, the only, only thing I can see that Indiana sticks around is if they hang around in the middle of the third quarter, because we know funky things happen in the big 10, right? You got a, you know, redshirt freshman quarterback, really the only time he was under the gun. And you guys saw it uh, opening night against Minnesota where he played great. And then in the Oregon game where he played great but had the late interception. If Indiana can hang around in this football game in the middle of the third quarter and keep their fans in the stands, I have been over at the quarry many a times. Uh, One of my best friends who was in my wedding played football for Indiana. I have been over there. I have done the tailgate. I have been in the student section before. It's a tremendous atmosphere if they can keep the people in the stands. You guys know this. There are a ton of Buckeyes that will make the voyage, you know, two and a half, three hours to, to B-Town on Saturday evening. Um, and really, if they can keep it a weird game that Kevin Wilson was so good at, mm-hmm. uh, keep it weird into the middle of the third quarter, early into the fourth, then college football can take over, as we know, and pandemonium can ensue. But if Ohio State gets up to a big lead like they did against Maryland, like they did against Rutgers, uh, oh, I, yeah, so you dropped the S on Rutgers still, too? Yeah, no, they don't deserve the S. Uh, Rutgers basketball has it. They're top 25. Wrestling team deserves it. Med school deserves it. Football team, Greg Shiano, they'll earn it, but uh, they don't deserve it right now. What, what will it take for Rutgers, for Rutger to, to reclaim that S in your book? 500 in the Big Ten or, fi- or 500 in the regular season. That's it. That's all we're asking That's it. for, boys. Okay, so a bowl, bowl appearance for Rutgers. Another, That's it. Another That's thing, it. They get too, back. you were talking about Ohio State fans traveling to Memorial Stadium. I've I've heard through the grapevine, and maybe, maybe I'm just – more disconnected than I thought. Maybe this is something that's more common. But do people in Ohio or Ohio State fans call Memorial Stadium Horseshoe West? Uh, I have not heard that actually, but because they fill it up with their own fans more so than Indiana does. 
Uh, probably, <laughs> probably. Uh, but it, it was crazy. One of my actual my first road trip experiences of going to a Big Ten game as a, a, a fan. Uh, I want to say I was a freshman in high school, maybe in eighth grade. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and we went there. It was a Saturday morning, or not a Saturday morning, but I think a noon kickoff at Memorial Stadium. And again, my buddy's family was all Hoosier fans, and we drove over, and I was wearing you know scarlet and gray. And I got there, and I got to say, I mean, middle of the second quarter, there was Stadium Ohio going around, OHIO, you know, across the stadium. And um, it was it was not a great scene uh, <laughs> at that time. So I don't know if they call it Horseshoe West, but it's very, very close. And we know that Buckeye fans show up in hordes basically at every single place. Mm-hmm. Well, quick story, and I know that for this podcast that nobody's going to like this, but I'm just going to point it out, and it's going to speak to the point that it's not just in Indiana. But growing up, uh, my dad worked in the Lafayette, West Lafayette area, so we used to go to Purdue games quite a bit. And anytime Ohio State would come to town, obviously, you'd have a lot of Ohio State fans. And we had the privilege of sitting next to them a few times. And <laughs> we would we, we would start up this conversation. And a lot of times, like, these people would tell us, you know, it's, it's easier, it's cheaper to get road tickets. They would go to three or four road games a year and maybe a home game once every two or three years. Now, I'm sure that's not the case for everybody, but I think that that's – I mean, it's it's – at times now, because the ticket prices are so high, um, but back in the 90s, 2000s, I know that people were traveling all over the place because when you factor in all that stuff, it was just they got to check out new cities. They got to check out new stadiums. And even the price of the ticket and the, the, the hotel might be a little bit cheaper than a home ticket or easier to come by than a home ticket. Yeah, it's pretty wild, right? I mean, obviously familiar Bloomington and West Lafayette are centrally located inside of the Big Ten. But if you want to think about it, I mean, Columbus is, what, five to six hours road trip from basically everywhere inside of the Big Ten. Uh, Aside from Maryland, which is a little farther away, uh, Nebraska, of course, now. But, I mean, it's super central. Uh, And here in Columbus, I mean, you know, there's obviously – I mean, there is. It's a big city. Uh, but we love our Buckeyes here, and that's the thing. I mean, you want to go and you want to have a weekend. Let's say, you know, you want to spend Friday night in Indy. You want to drive to Bloomington. You want to drive to West Lafayette. You can do that, and it's always a thing. And, two, I mean, I think there's 40,000, 50,000 undergrad at Ohio State. Uh, it's one of the biggest alumni bases in the country. Wherever you go, inside a Big Ten territory, anything outside of it, uh, there's always going to be Buckeye fans literally everywhere. Uh, and so it just it, it adds to it all. Anywhere that you go inside of the Big Ten footprint, they're going to be there, uh, no matter what. I mean, even if the team is I don't know three and nine or three and eight, whatever, heading into the last game of the year, they're going to show up in full force because this is what we do. I mean, Columbus, Ohio, like the Browns. Okay, not a great season so far. They were thinking they were going to be good. Bengals better than uh, you know maybe we thought at the beginning of the year. But really, Ohio State, no matter what corner of the state you go to, is Ohio's pro team. Uh, and people, they love it. And on Saturdays, they flock, whether it's here in Columbus or whether somewhere else uh, inside of the Big Ten. So it's always something to do on a Saturday. Hang out, drive three hours, drive four hours, go to the game. Uh, and that's why, really, I think Buckeye Nation takes over a lot of stadiums because it's, uh, it's quite the force. A quest my wife and I are wanting to embark on eventually is to visit every single Big Ten stadium, which we haven't started yet. But once once the time comes and we're able to plan that sort of, I guess, yearly schedule out, that's something that we definitely have talked about and are looking forward to eventually uh, taking on. But before we let you go, Brandon, go ahead and give us a, a prediction and a score if you don't mind. Yeah, so, I, I, again, I think uh, Indiana's issues at quarterbacks, I think, is going to play huge into this game. Uh, I think this Buckeye defense continues its ascension. I've been using it on the show a lot. It's ascension up the bell curve. Uh, I don't think we've seen the best. I think we have seen the worst, fortunately for us here in Buckeye land. Uh, I'm going to go 52-17, uh, big Buckeye victory on Saturday wow. night. So 52-17. I know, yeah, we're very, we're very confident and that's, here. And there's nothing wrong with There's nothing wrong with that. It goes week to week, though, because if you would ask me three weeks ago, I'd be like, boy, Indiana, I don't know, they might yeah. lose that game. So. <laughs> I definitely, and we'll, Dustin and I will get into our predictions later, but I'm, I'm not picking Indiana to win for one, but I don't know if, 
I hope Indiana doesn't give up 52 points on defense. I really hope they, that, that that doesn't happen. My goodness. They're averaging almost 49 points per game, John. Hey. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> hey, but you also thought Michigan State was going to be able to do a lot more, or Kenneth Walker no, specifically. So, anyway, that's thanks fair. again, Brandon. Be sure to listen to him if you're if oh, any Ohio State listeners tune into this. Be sure to check him out on, on his morning show, The Morning Juice. Dustin also says he, you join him every couple of weeks. Hey, yes, for whatever reason, Brandon continues to invite me on the show, and, and uh, it, but I have a I have a blast on. It's one of my favorite shows to join, uh, so I appreciate that. And yeah, so every couple of weeks, if you tune in regularly, then you can hear my voice. I tweet it out usually. So, <laughs> well, like we just we like trolling you about the Pacers here in Columbus. That's that's what, I, that's what it's all about. That's right. <laughs> thanks again brandon uh we'll we'll be sure to have you on again next time and next year whenever that may be but we appreciate the time brandon yeah absolutely anytime boys have a great rest of the show see you soon you thanks too, brandon man. and 52 to 17 i, I want to point something out this is more of an off-camera thing i, I was going to bring it up during the the interview but there was there was no point in doing that we were in the middle of it but on the on the youtube side of things Evidently, when I hit record at the beginning, it wasn't recording. I got—I saw a little message up top when I was looking to see how much time had gone by, and it, it said that there was the little red bubble that says that we're live wasn't on. And while while Dustin and Brandon were talking, I went to look, and it, it said having trouble connecting. What are your issues? And so I had to hit recording. And so the YouTube version of the show is going to be uh, a little spliced up. Uh, you're going to be, and obviously. On pod, if you're listening on podcast form, it doesn't matter. But and we'll we'll make a post out, and all this stuff is in retrospect when you're listening to this or watching this. So it doesn't really right. matter, I guess, that I'm saying this over the the film right now. But I just thought I'd point it out because it threw me way off whenever we uh, were in the middle of that interview. I've never had that happen before with Jim Show or this. So hey, there's a first for everything. But Dustin, that's right, there is. Phew. You got to learn through mistakes. That's that's what that's what we do. Hey, we have a good time on this. Brandon, he was a great guest. I feel, I've listened to Ohio State shows before, whether it was just for my own uh, curiosity, especially last year when I thought Indiana had a real shot to beat them, and they obviously did. I was was listening to one show, and I don't remember who it was anymore. I only listened to him that one time, but man, they were some cocky sons of guns. Not like Brandon is not one of those cocky sons of guns, but I remember they were predicting. Uh, I don't know if it was Master Teague or, or some other whoever the running back was last year to get like three or four rushing touchdowns, and and I don't, I don't know. I think they they predicted a special teams touchdown last year. Like I was after the after the result of that game last year, I remember being very happy about the way things had turned out. But I'm not sure we're going to be saying the same thing this year. This is one of the first seasons in a long time where I'm not very confident that Indiana will be in this by the end of the game. I don't think they're going to be in it by the end of the half, to be quite honest with you. Because, again, this this comes back to – this comes – basically, you're going strength on strength and weakness on weakness. The problem is, is that Ohio State's strength is a lot greater than Indiana's strength. And Ohio State's weakness is not nearly as weak as Indiana's weakness. So when you throw those things together, it's kind of a recipe for disaster. Unless something crazy changes – uh, and I don't know what that's going to be. Like, you've reached the point, again, to me, we're six games into this. You haven't moved the ball offensively. You can't put the ball in the end zone. It's it, it's so fr- – as a even as a person who does not care about the outcome, it's so frustrating to watch um, because this team should be better. They should be putting points on the board. It's almost like if Indiana's some- going to have a chance, they're going to have to put points up on defense. You're going to have to have – somebody yes. on the defensive side of the ball get a pick six or a, or a scoop and score. That's like the only that, thing that could really turn the tide on this. And, and I do think that that's kind of where Brandon was going with his, with his comment is, uh, you know, the defense can, if they can get pressure on CJ Stroud, if they can make him feel uncomfortable, if you're able to force a turnover and get a pick six early in that game and maybe rattle him a little bit, I think you, you could see things not unravel because he could have unraveled against Minnesota and that was his first career start, and he bounced back really well in that second half. I mean, he had, what, four touchdown passes on five throws, or some, it was something crazy like that. So he bounced back in a big way. I don't think you can rattle him the whole game, but if Indiana wants a chance to stay in it, I, I think you're right. I think they're going to have to get some sort of defensive touchdown because even if you get – even if they got a 
an interception and got inside the red zone, which would be a great thing for most teams. I'm not confident they would get even three points out of that. Yeah. Now, I'm definitely confident in Charles Campbell's kicking ability, uh, but I, I get what you're saying. Uh, it's it's going to be tough for Indiana. Um, we'll, we'll get into the prediction of the, of the Indiana-Ohio State game here in a little bit, but let's go ahead and look into the rest of the Big Ten. We didn't really talk about much what happened uh, over the weekend. Obviously, we had the big upset with Purdue over Iowa. David Bell, the Hawkeye killer. A lot yep. of interesting stuff going on there. It's one of those things that, after the fact, I'm not surprised about it. But before the game, I, obviously, I didn't pick uh, or pick Purdue to win. But uh, after it happened, you see the history, the, the triangle of confusion, as you call it. Uh, yep. I'm not really that surprised, even though Iowa was number two. Well, I was surprised because you would have thought the way that they're – Iowa's defense was playing, and when you look at how uh, Aiden O'Connell had been throwing the football, he's been accurate, but at the same time, he to me, he was – I labeled him as a high-risk, high-reward type of guy, and I didn't think you could win that way against Iowa. He had come into the game throwing four touchdown passes and five interceptions, and in, in games against Notre Dame and Illinois, he threw four straight picks on four straight drives. Uh, so to me, I was like, this is going to be a disaster waiting to happen if they start him. And he proved me wrong. I mean, like he and like I owe I owe Aiden O'Connell and Jeff Brom an apology because I thought there was no way they were going to win that game. He goes out, he completes thirty of forty passes, three hundred seventy five yards. He had two touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown. Um, it, I just can't believe that Phil Parker and that defense could has not been able to figure out Jeff Brom's offense in five years. I mean, even the one game that Purdue lost, which was I believe two thousand nineteen, that was a one possession game, and Purdue was god-awful that year they were four and eight and they had all kinds of injuries stacking up so sometimes college football is weird and Jeff Brom having Kirk Ferentz is one of those weird oddities uh they just can't figure out the offense and the defense the defense held Iowa's offense to seven points Purdue's defense is number five in the nation in scoring that's incredible that is wow I did not know that Good good to know because we were talking earlier, or I wasn't, Jim was talking earlier on Indiana Sports Beat today about the games that – I absolutely hate that this is the conversation that we're having, but the games that Indiana needs to win to get bowl eligible, Purdue being one of them, the, the four being Purdue, Maryland, Rutgers, and Minnesota are the easy ones per se. Obviously, nothing's easy in the Big Ten. Uh, but you also, when you look at Michigan and Ohio State, those are your most likely losses if you're going to get to six and six. But even Purdue, right. that that's not that's probably on the, the higher tier of, or maybe lower tier on, on ones that are likely to happen. So I guess yeah, that would be the lower tier based on what they're doing. I mean, they they did to Iowa what Indiana probably thought they were going to be able to do against Iowa week one. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that, yeah, Indiana thought they could do that. Purdue went out and did it. Uh, and then you mentioned the four teams. Look at, I mean, Rutgers is three and four, but I, I would like to see that Northwestern Rutgers game played again when Rutgers is maybe on a bye week or, you know, something to that effect. They got, they, I, I you know, this is going to be a PG or PG 13, but they got their ass kicked um, <laughs> for three straight weeks against Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State. Like they needed a break. So to go into that game, travel to Northwestern for a noon kickoff. I just think that that was more of a mental game than anything else. Like, mm-hmm. I think if you line those two teams up, maybe Northwestern does win five of them. I just think it, there was just so much mental wear and tear on Rutgers that they're getting a, a bye at the right time. But my point is, is you, you, th- that's not a guaranteed win. Maryland has is down plenty of receivers, but we've seen that they can score. If they can bounce back, I don't think that Indiana's defense is as nearly as good as Iowa's or um, – uh, or Ohio State, Ohio State, who they lost to. So I think we don't know quite what Maryland can do offensively. Purdue's top 25. They just beat Iowa. They've been in every game. They had opportunities to beat Minnesota. They had opportunities to beat Notre Dame. Minnesota is a really bad Bowling Green loss away from being 5-1 and one, and maybe <laughs> the new favorite in the Big Ten West. And they did it with their third-string running back and a quarterback who hasn't played well all season. So... We talked about this with Mitchell Page a few weeks ago. There's a chance Indiana's two and ten. There's a chance Indiana finishes two and ten. Like that that is a very real possibility. I'm not gonna buy into that narrative quite yet. It's gonna take a loss from either Maryland or I don't know which one comes first, but if they're able to lose one of those 
and obviously the games leading up to those, then, I mean, that's bad. I mean, I'm not saying you're you're obviously not going to fire Tom Allen, but if you're talking worst case scenario, and I'm talking back to the beginning of the season, unrealistic worst case scenario, if somebody would have told you from the future that Indiana's 2-10, and I mean, I'm sure a lot of people would have said fire Tom Allen. If, if they knew ahead of time, with the, with the hype that was coming in, that you were going to be 2-10, and 10, I mean, my right. goodness. Yeah, that, because I remember talking on Jim's show. I remember talking on a lot of shows. Worst case scenario for Indiana is 6-6. Six and six. Like that, To me, that was worst case scenario. I knew how difficult the schedule was. Um, I knew they'd have some challenges, and I didn't – and I still wanted them to prove something. I wanted them to say, you know, we didn't – I wanted to see him do it in front of fans because it, 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 it did make it a little bit different not playing in front of fans. But still, even worst case scenario, we're talking eh, six and six, three straight bowl games. That's pretty good for Tom Allen. Maybe he gets that monkey off of his back. You know, that's pretty good for this Indiana program when you look at the history of where the Hoosiers have been. Two and ten would have been nowhere. I would have thought that half the offensive line went down. Michael Penix was out. They lost all of their running backs and half their defense transferred or something to finish two and 10. <laughs> like that's how improbable that would have been at the start of the season. Cause here's the thing. Obviously we've talked about this numerous times that they could have been two and four, three and three right now. And us talking about that six and six that you were referring to. But the problem is they haven't looked good in hardly any of their losses. Yes, they probably should have beaten Michigan State and probably should have beaten Cincinnati. But the reasons that we're here right now is because they're having issues specifically on offense that we didn't think they would be having. Well, I mean, we're talking about them not looking bad. Is that did you say not looking bad? Maybe maybe I contradicted myself. I meant to talk about them them looking bad in two and four, whereas to where earlier on when you were referring to the six and six, it wouldn't, it would have been more been because of how tough the schedule was. They're in tough games or just not yeah, okay, coming on yes. the right end of them. Okay. Yeah. That make okay. I think you probably said that correctly. I just misheard what you were trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we watching the that, Braves again. That, that <laughs> I also have that going on. Yeah. Uh, so the, the thing, but you're, you're correct in the sense that this, this team is supposed to be how do i how do i hammer this point home in that other than just saying you're right i guess <laughs> is the fact that you thought it would look better you thought that you didn't think they would lose to penn state 24 to 0 you didn't think they'd no. get blown out by iowa 34 to 6 you didn't think that they would if they lost to cincinnati it would be because they couldn't score they they had three red zone turnovers like it's just looked so bad and even in the close losses that they've had or I mean Cincinnati was a close loss but even in this close loss that they have 20 to 15 I think if you say say before the season and we we use a lot of you know retrospect here if you say before the season Indiana lost to a top 10 team 20 to 15 you would have probably thought wow that was a really competitive game Mm -hmm. and it was but when it's the same frustrations and you lose the game because of a pick six and you lose the game because you can't get the ball in the end zone even even though it was a close game, it didn't look good. Like, well, here's was, here's a crazy a thing game. to think about. And this is and after this, we'll move on to our previews and pickups. But Indiana is essentially, if you really want to dumb it down, they're a pick six and a fumble away from being four and two. A very yep. ugly four and two. That's true. Which is and we're probably about. talking about this. And as, as much as I just went on that tirade and the Dodgers tied this freaking thing up, um, as much as I went on that tirade, we're, we're having a completely different discussion if they're four and two, even as ugly as those two losses looked. Mm. We're saying, we're probably saying Indiana is still a good football team. They're just not as good as we thought. They're not mm. quite there yet. They need to do some recruiting. They need to, you know, be better for these big game situations. But we're having the conversation about Indiana being bowl eligible. Right now, we're having a conversation where I don't see them getting into a bowl game. Like, legitimately, I don't think they're going to get to six wins. I mean, right now, I would say it's realistic to think that they'll finish five and seven. And that's obviously a disappointment, and there's going to be changes made in the offseason with a record like that. I mean, even if they're in a bowl game, there's probably going to be some changes made in the offseason, like, uh, personnel-wise. But, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. We've beaten this horse to death for the past few weeks with this offense. I'm hoping we can change the narrative a little bit. Even if Indiana does lose to Ohio State, but let's go ahead and get into our Week Eight pickems. We got five Big Ten games on the docket this week. We got a few games. It looks like four teams are on buys, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I heard you say Rutgers, but first up, we've got 
Northwestern at number six, Michigan. Right now, I would say uh, Michigan on paper is probably the second best team in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably fair to say. Uh, well, you know what? I'd say third. I still think Penn State. If Sean Clifford's healthy, I think I think Penn State's still the second best team in the Big Ten. Um, but Michigan deserves to be in that conversation. I'm going to pick Michigan in this game, but Northwestern got some confidence. Michigan has had trouble in the second half of games. They did so at Nebraska. They did so against Rutgers. They take their foot off the gas a little bit. So if they get a big lead in the first half, which I think that they could jump out to a 2-3 score lead in this game, and Northwestern has a little bit of confidence. Ryan holinsky has been playing well, even though he's not great. Three touchdowns, no interceptions. He's completing around 60% of his passes. I think Northwestern might be able to fight back and make this more interesting, but ultimately I think Michigan gets to 7-0. and and Pat Fitzgerald's weird, man. You give you give any Northwestern team confidence, and they're likely to give you a little bit of a scare whether you come out on top or not. But I, I'm also with you. I'm taking Michigan in this. I think it's a safe bet. I don't think anyone would bet Northwestern unless, you know, you were trying to make a little bit of fun money and you had something to spend. But let's <laughs> moving on to uh, Illinois at number seven, Penn State. I mean, I, I kind of see what you mean. There's a lot of ugly games on this Big Ten slate. At least when you when you think about what the outcome should be, yeah, yeah. This is this is another one that I think could get really ugly. Uh, Penn, both teams are coming off the bye. Um, Illinois has not looked good. They've got a ton of injuries. They've got some players that have uh, are, are injured for the season. I just don't know where their mental state's going to be at. Eddie Valley, I think Penn State run. I mean, I think this Penn State's going to be playing pissed off. I use that earlier with Ohio State because they still have something to prove because I think some people are still doubting them for that Oregon loss. Penn State, they had to think about that loss to Iowa for two weeks. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be ugly early, and I don't think James Franklin's going to take the foot off the gas. I think it's going to be – I think this is going to be a 40-point game. Yeah, and, I mean, you think they did 24-0 to Indiana. I mean, this could be 48-0 to Illinois. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying they're going to shut out Penn State, but they absolutely – we know they have the ability to do it, and against a team of much lesser, uh, I would say, talent than Indiana, Illinois is. Uh, so it, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Illinois doesn't have a chance in this. So moving on, Wisconsin at number 25, Purdue, man. How the how the turntables – I wanted to deliver that better, but I had a little bit of a, <laughs> a, little bit of a, a nasal issue going that's on right when I was saying that. That's kind of a perfect way to deliver that. That's perfect way to deliver that because it's like Michael Scott. That's kind of like how he would deliver that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. But Wisconsin, I mean, they're – I would say there's a lot of teams I would compare Indiana to in the Big Ten in terms of expectations aren't working out. But Wisconsin and Nebraska are among the top two that would say that they are kind of the same team. Wisconsin has – ridiculous offensive issues just like Indiana and we've seen what Purdue did to Iowa who doesn't who also doesn't have a very good offense even though they're they had a very uh, solid defense and I think we could see more of the same with this Purdue Wisconsin game that than we saw in uh last week with when they played Iowa I do too the the concern I have for the Purdue for the Purdue side of this is their history against Wisconsin they haven't won beat the Badgers since 2003 uh, and so I think that there's a little bit of that. It, it's kind of curious because Ohio or Wisconsin and Iowa tend to play similar styles, at least. So you would think that Jeff Brown would have figured something out there. Typically, Wisconsin has a little bit bigger athletes, so um, usually they're better. I think Purdue wins this game. I think they snap that losing streak to the Badgers. Uh, the the interesting thing to me is going to be Wisconsin is really good. Their their be- best asset is stopping the run. Purdue has no interest in running the football. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that passing attack of Purdue attacks the secondary. And, um, you know, they had a chance to win this game in 2018, came up short. Uh, but I think the Boilers get it done and get to 5-2. and two. Yeah, I have Purdue winning as well. But it is Purdue is one of those teams that, like, I feel like they're riding a high right now. But they could just as easily fall right back down with a disappointing performance with Wisconsin. So the, the jury is out on Purdue. I think they're a decent team, but we'll, we'll obviously find out what they're made of against Wisconsin. It is a home game. Very fortunate for them in that aspect. Next up, we have Maryland at Minnesota. An interesting uh, crossover matchup. The northernmost team versus, I don't think Maryland's the easternmost team. That's probably Rutgers, isn't it? Or am I mistaken right there? Oh, God. Why did you ask what me a, a geography? What a weird trivia. Why did I, how did I even think of that? 
I don't know, but I, I would have to do some geography. I'm not good. I don't know. <laughs> you go back to the office. It's like when uh, Dwight's arguing with Oscar about the northernmost battle of the Civil War. Yes, yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's another good comparison. Like I'd have to go. I don't know where they're located in their respective states. Uh, that's uh, let's pass. Okay, Maryland, Minnesota. Um, Maryland off the bye, but they don't have any offensive weapons. Minnesota's defense is playing at a pretty high level. Um, I trust PJ Fleck way more than I trust Mike Loxley. And Chris Ottman Bell, even though Tanner Morgan threw two picks in the second half of that game, he played really well in the first half against Nebraska. I think having Chris Ottman Bell back is a big deal. Uh, we'll see if they have Daniel Jackson. They have Dalen Wright back. I think Minnesota wins. I don't. I don't see this being a close game, but I don't think it's a blowout. I think it's probably going to be like a 14, uh, 14 point game, like something like Minnesota thirty one to seventeen or something like that. And last year, I believe this came down to I don't know if they were in overtime or double overtime or if it was regulation, but the winner of this game hit a hit a field goal to win this. It was like forty to thirty seven, something wild like that. So interesting. I don't know if you want. To it was a missed extra point. It was a missed extra point, so it wasn't a field goal. Minnesota okay. missed an extra point. I was in the point. right ballpark, <laughs> but uh, you were you were close, yeah. Um, but yeah, so we could we could get more interesting things from this Maryland Minnesota game. I, I really don't know. I, I took Minnesota when I made my predictions. I'm going to stick with it, but it's looking like you and I, after we talk about this Ohio State Indiana game, are going to be dead even again. Just uh, I didn't update last week. Last week we had some different results and and. Uh, different things panned out. I was correct about the uh, Wisconsin win with Army. He was correct about Michigan State over Indiana. Man, if if Indiana would have pulled that out, that would have brought me within three games, inching my way back into this. But unfortunately, I'm still five games back. And it's looking like after we talk about our predictions for Ohio State, Indiana, I'm still going to be five games back. But Dustin, I know we've already talked a lot about this game. What do you think is going to happen? I just, again, I don't, See, Indiana's defense is going to be on the field so much, and I don't think they have the same caliber of athletes as Ohio State. Um, you don't have I to think fake. they might know. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> uh, I th- maybe Indiana keeps this game somewhat competitive for like a quarter, a quarter and a half. But again, I still think Ohio State has a lot to prove. After this game, they're heading into a matchup against Penn State. They're going to want to come out crisp. Um, out of the bye week, Indiana took another demoralizing loss. That weighs on the mentality. I've been talking about that for quite a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm close to what Brandon thinks. I think this is going to be 49 to seven, and I think Indiana's touchdown is like a junk touchdown. Like junk. I I don't so I don't know. Ask before I give you my before I give you my prediction, if if Indiana's offense is really that bad, and we don't see any sign of improvement this week. Do you think that Tom Allen has to make a change at some point? I'm not saying he's going to let go of Nick Sheridan, but I'm talking about a play-calling change. Keep Nick Sheridan doing what he's doing with the quarterbacks, but have somebody else take the play-calling reins if this ends up being a game that bad. I, I don't know why he hasn't in the first – and maybe he has and he's just not making it public. I don't know, but I don't know why you wouldn't at this point. Because, again, for the 37th time, we're six games in and it doesn't look any better. <laughs> It, it looks as bad week one as it, or in week, what are we going into? In week seven, week as eight. it did in week one. Well, game I mean, seven, we're, yeah. Game seven, but yeah, I guess. Yeah, we, played, right. we played through seven weeks. So I just, again, why not make the change now? You can let him finish out the season. You can do what Ryan Day did with Kerry Combs on the defensive coordinator situation. Mix it up. Let him finish out the season. And then you've got to cut bait. Mm-hmm. I, I hate to be that way with him. But it's just been so bad. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say that too, but I'm also obviously picking the Buckeyes in this one. And I mean, I, I haven't picked against Indiana much this season. I had a lot of faith, and it's taken a lot to rip that faith out of me because I knew Indiana had the personnel coming into the season. And obviously, the past couple of weeks, that's changed a little bit. You don't have Michael Penix anymore. Whether he was 100% to begin with, we'll never know. It doesn't matter. Uh, but even even the receivers, you don't have DJ Matthews gone. You have issues at the running back position. The offensive line has been absolutely god-awful. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And at some point, you can't have faith in them anymore no matter what you have. I'm taking Ohio State to win 35-14. to 14. Wow, two touchdowns. <laughs> Here's the thing. That's based – maybe I haven't looked too much into Ohio State's defense yet. But what I'm, I'm basing that off the fact that they are still suspect – 
I think Indiana, I mean, they have to turn things around eventually. And I know scoring 14 points isn't turning things around, but it's a step in the right direction offensively. Is God it, love you for being optimistic. Is this a, is this a moral? Vi- I'm not trying to make this sound like a moral victory, but it, am I am I making am I giving off that impression? I, if Indiana keeps it that close, I think you can consider it a step in the right direction. I think you can consider it a moral victory. We, we don't like to talk about that, but I hate, I hate but, the fact that that is that that is a step in the right direction. That should not be a step in the right direction. Correct, and I don't think they're going to get 14 points, and I don't think they're going to hold Ohio State to 35. So again. I love you for being optimistic, but I just I don't think that that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll just have to see. As I can't hear the music playing, I didn't turn on my portion of it. Here we go. Man, we love technical problems. And anyway, once again, I want to apologize for those watching YouTube. Uh, if you want to hear the whole thing, please listen to the version on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, but thanks for listening. As always, be sure to listen to Indiana Sports Beat Radio on YouTube every morning, nine to eleven. Dustin's with us every Thursday. Also on uh, the radio in Evansville and Rango. And, uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Next week, Indiana takes on. Heck, I don't know. I I can't look past this one. We got Indiana-Ohio State this week. But thanks again, as always, Dustin. And we'll see you guys next time.